The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. This is your host, Ken Smith, sitting with Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. Ethan and I are both certified financial planners and partners in Seattle-based wealth management company, Empirical Wealth Management. This show is designed to share with you prudent investing and financial planning ideas to help you make smarter financial decisions. If you'd like to contact us throughout the program, today Ethan and I are broadcasting live from our office in downtown Seattle. You can reach us through the program at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. And you can call in, and if you have any questions about an investment that you're thinking about making or a financial planning decision, estate planning, insurance, uh, whatever it may be, Buying versus leasing, any of those kinds of stuff. Should you pay off your credit card? Ethan loves those types of questions, and he's happy to answer them. He's been uh, doing a lot of studying on Susie Orman, and he's he's ready he's ready to take her. Susie Orman, give her the challenge. Susie um, Orman. If you want to reach us on the uh, throughout the week, you can do so at one eight hundred nine two three four three zero seven, or shoot myself an email, ksmith at emp. Oh, you know, I'll give you my ksmith at empirical.net. The uh, radio program email is contact at empiradio.com. If you'd rather shoot us an email with your question or topic. Ethan, you want to give out your email address as the self-proclaimed IRA and retirement expert? You bet. I can be reached at <laughs> ebroga, E-B-R-O-G-A, at empirical.net. And Ethan, what can we? Uh, what do you get going? I know you're doing some presentations and things like that. You like to sure, yeah, talk about and plug. Um, we have a couple actually, a few, three this this month coming up uh, here toward the end of the month. Uh, coming up on you know the dates, in the city near you. Are they on the on the web, Simon? I don't think they are quite yet. Well, if you're interested in attending, uh, we'll get those on the website for you here shortly. But uh, there's Tuesdays and Thursdays of the last week of this month. I don't have the exact dates in front of me. Unfortunately, but don't uh, worry about it. If you'd like to attend, just let us know. Uh, it's free and guaranteed to provide some useful information that you may not know about retirement. So, if you're thinking about retiring, looking to maximize what you have, uh, make more of the uh, of the money you've earned over your lifetime, having it grow as much as possible within the risk that you're willing to take, uh, save money in taxes. Uh, lots and lots of good ideas to share. So, um, feel free to come. That sounds pretty good. It is really good. I'll be honest. Either I thought we could go through the uh, quick overview of the market as we do every show for the week. Um, 
talk a little bit about last week. I know I, I wasn't here. You and Mike were talking about some of your retirement concepts and ideas. I found an article in the Financial Planner magazine from a guy named Ed Slot. I think his name is. Yeah, Ed Slot. I know him very, been reading pretty well, sure. It's about uh, stealth avoiding high net worth, how to avoid stealth tax taxes. And I thought I could just kind of peruse through that. And um, we could talk a little bit about those topics, um, specifically maybe using Roths as a, as a tool and some of the techniques that um, people can use if they, if they currently aren't qual- able to qualify to put into a Roth. Yeah, great. Um, you know, I thought we could tackle that and then talk a little bit about uh, some investment stuff we have time. I don't know if there'll be enough time, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, you want me to go ahead and go through some of the market information? Sure. We'll start, All right. We can start with that. Well, today was a pretty big drop in the market. The Dow Jones dropped 231 points. Uh, it was about 1.4% decline today. Market has had a pretty good run-up, so I, you know, over the... Now the one last single year uh, ending today, we are up about 11.52% on the Dow, but 18.77% on the S&P 500 over the last year. Uh, today the S&P closed at 1846.35, down 21.85. That's about a 1.17% decline. And I'll just go to the, where that puts us year to date. The S&P now is about even down 0.11% for the year. So we're sitting about even on the S&P for the, for the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, where that, after today's close, microcap was down a little over a percent today, but they are up. Those tiny stocks are up about 4.5% year to date. Small value up about 065 uh, Small growth doing a little better than value so far year to date up 2.24%. International um, companies, as a general blend, are down 2.83% for the year. Today they were down. International got hit pretty hard, down almost 2%, 1.77%. Hmm. International uh, value down 23 year to date. International large growth down 3.67. Emerging markets um, got Hit again today, down 1.83%. Down That puts it negative 7.57 for the year. Frontier markets down uh, 0.72, and those are actually positive year-to-date, Ethan, up 1.75%. Wow. Um, REITs, they were down six-tenths of a percent today, and they are positive year-to-date. That puts us at 3.88%. If we look at the World Stock Index... We are uh, was down about 1.36. That includes the U.S. and foreign markets combined year to date, negative 1.4. And um, gold up 14.22 percent year to date. Hmm. Silver up 8.89 percent year to date. Platinum 8 percent. Gold uh, crude oil down 2.37 year to date. Five-year Treasury yielding 1.52% this week. Ten-year Treasury at 2.65%. We've got uh, 10-year muni bonds at uh, 2.54, which is a tax equivalent, 3.5 on a Hmm. 28% bracket. That's interesting. Five-year AAA corporates, uh, 1.74. That is up a little bit from last week's number, but the 10-years are down to 3.21%. It was 3.29 last week. 
We've got the uh, five-year inflation protected treasury at a negative 0.22% yield. The 10-year inflation protected yielding 0.49% positive. That puts the break-even inflation rates on the five-year at 1.74% inflation and 10-year treasury uh, 2.16%, so very low inflation projection still based into those uh, bonds, built into those bonds. And uh, I think uh, that pretty much sums it up, Ethan. All right. Sounds good. Um, Yeah. So let's talk about this. Uh, let's talk about this article here that I came across, how to avoid stealth taxes for high-income individual, um, for a high-income individual taking an unexpected hit, a Roth conversion can be a smart solution. I, it just caught my because it's something you've been talking a lot about. That's true. A lot of focus and energy. I think you believe that there, there is a... Uh, a large opportunity with the Roths to reduce taxes over an investor's lifetime mm-hmm. and therefore increase their after-tax wealth. That's correct. So um, do you want me to just kind of click through some of this? And, yeah, why not? And then I thought you could chime in. Sure. There's a good chance that you're already hearing from clients who have been blindsided by taxes they were not prepared for. The American Taxpayer Relief Act 2012 is starting to show its ugly side as clients get their first look at their 2013 tax bill. The tax increases in question are what tax professionals for years have called stealth taxes. Under the radar burdens under the radar burdens that are hard to see coming because lawmakers don't want to admit to raising taxes. It might seem that they raise them in ways that we hope that they hope we will not notice. That's interesting. at least right away all this makes long-term tax planning almost impossible stealth taxes mostly affect higher income individuals but there are several different income thresholds for different tax provisions yeah yeah um one thing just pointing out the top tax brackets for 2014 ethan if you look at the ordinary income brackets for a single, the highest you hit the highest marginal tax rate when you exceed four hundred six thousand seven hundred fifty one dollars of income. Right, that would put you in the thirty nine point six percent bracket. The limit on when you're married filing jointly for that is four hundred fifty seven thousand six hundred one. The effective top rate becomes forty three point four percent. However, Ethan, if you are subject to the three point eight percent Medicare surtax on net investment income. Mm-hmm. That being said, um, you know, Ed's advice is that you go on an offensive with stealth tax management. Keep taxable income low to reduce the long-term impact of stealth taxes, including five that are making their appearance, or first in several years on 2013 tax returns. The phase-out of personal exemptions a reduction of itemized deductions, an increase uh, increased tax on net investment income, four, increased tax on earned income, and five, a decrease in deductible medical expenses. In its simplest form, this management approach involves keeping taxable income as low as possible for the long term. Short-term solutions won't help. Lowering income one year might 
might cause a bump the next year and cost a client more in the long run, especially if taxes keep increasing. Controlling the income. So begin with the income items that are most controllable, like just distributions you take out of retirement plans, uh, the way you sell investments and handle investments. I think something that we've talked a lot about is the tax efficiency of your investment portfolio. And what we've been doing for years has only become ex- more value, extremely valuable in reality because of the tax-efficient nature. Um, things like investing in securities that don't produce a high taxable return or defer that return into the future um, and and maybe do so at lower tax rates. Yeah, it's one of the, for, for example, there are a lot of folks um, who invest money in high dividend paying securities right now. Uh, if you have those types of securities in your taxable accounts, so not an IRA, not in a, in a 401k, and not a traditional IRA, but in taxable assets like a individual or joint or trust account, for example, um, you are forced to recognize income when those pay the dividends. Um, and if they pay higher dividends, well, guess what? More of the return will be taxed. And if you're actually in a higher tax bracket, that will be very counterproductive in a lot of ways. So the most tax-inefficient investments, typically you'd want to have in some other type of account, like a tax-deferred or tax-free account if possible. Um, something to, very, to consider very strongly before you, you make a choice along those lines. Multiple levels there, then. Sure. Yeah. Also, other things. I mean, geez... Just that's why we're talking here about this. There's some things you can do. Oh, I guess we're coming up close to the break. Well, there's some things you can do. When we take a break, we'll come back, talk about those, and then get into this discussion about the Roth portion. Sounds good. Of how to do that. Again, if you want to reach us on the program, 866-472-5790. We'll be right back after these messages on Empirical Investing Radio. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. 
And uh, we were just running through an article written by Ed Slott, uh, a nationally renowned, uh, I guess, IRA expert. Uh, if you go to his website, that's his fame, uh, claim to fame. Uh, we were just talking about an article he had written in the Financial Planning Magazine. And one of his things that he states in the article is controlling income, uh, well, at least as much as possible. And right before the break, we were just talking about um, ways to do that. And one of the things I, I would mention it would be this. If you're, if you're working, you have income, um, you definitely want to be sensitive to how the investments are structured in your taxable accounts. And I just saying right before the break, actually, that a lot of folks enjoy or, or like to pursue a high dividend paying strategy. A lot of times that means that you're paying more tax than necessary, in, in essence, particularly if you have earned income and are working and, and at the same time have your, your portfolio produce or spin off a lot of income. Mainly because you don't have any control over when those incomes income is received in your portfolio. You know, if you invest in a high dividend paying stock, you're going to pay tax on those dividends in the year in which you receive the dividends. However, if you invest in a, in, a, in, a, in a stock that doesn't pay dividends or has very low dividend rates, you obviously will pay less tax accordingly. Uh, the other things I was going to mention is particularly recognizing income. Again, before um, right before the break too is when you're if you're working and have income you can choose when to recognize gains in your portfolio. So if, let's say you have a million dollars in a taxable account. You're invested in, in some stocks and some bonds there. Um, you need to do, do some things to keep it in balance from time to time. Well, you can choose when to realize gains. So if you have, for example, the S&P 500 in your portfolio, you can decide when to recognize gains in that particular account. So you may want to do it in years in which it's more tax advantageous to you. So, for example. It's all about the timing. It is time. Timing is important. For example, if you, you know you're going to take a couple of months off this year, maybe you have a sabbatical, or maybe you uh, are in transition from, from one job to another, where you're going to take maybe perhaps an extended period of time off, well, that would be a year in which you'll be in a lower income bracket than you probably would be when you're working full-time. So that would be a, the type of year in which, oh, gee, I can recognize a little more income here to help either rebalance my portfolio or do Roth conversions or things of that nature. In fact, a lot of times I, I do meet folks who have been, uh, maybe they're, They've gone from one company to another, particularly in the tech business. There's lots of turnover there, I've noticed. Um, you go from one company to another. And as you transition, a lot of times you're in a relatively low tax bracket for a period of time. And if you've accumulated money in your, your 401k, which you've rolled over to an IRA, again, recognizing income when you can pay a little tax on it is generally a good idea. All right. So for high-income individuals, it often pays to do a Roth conversion. Um, and that's one way, right, of shifting um, taxable income into tax-free income, into tax-free bucket. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's going to cost you now, but you have to make that decision uh, based on your long-term right. projections mm-hmm. and what the tax scene looks like. And one of the presentations that a couple of our partners are doing on uh, taxes and uh, go. Given this very situation, um, this is what is the likelihood that taxes will be lower over the course of someone entering into retirement right now? Well, taking a look back at where they've been historically, uh, we are still at a reasonably historically low tax environment. It may not seem that way, but tax rates have been significantly higher throughout various points in history Mm -hmm. than they are now. Right. What is for certain is we do have a huge deficit. That needs to be dealt with at some point in time. So it's very likely that tax rates would be in a similar position or higher over the course of someone retiring for the next 20, right. 
30 or 40 years, um, I, I would be less concerned about doing a, a Roth conversion, for example, and having tax rates be significantly lower into the into the near sure, future. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, and that, if that was going to happen, then that would make it not work out. I mean, you, you wouldn't do it under those conditions. I mean, that's whether the tax brackets are what they are, they go up or down, or, or your personal tax income situation. I mean, if you're going to be in a lower tax bracket later just because you know that's the case, well, then you wouldn't convert right now. Exactly. I mean, if you knew that because of your specific situation, but if you were looking at the tax code in itself, yeah. those are two separate two, two issues that you exactly. need to evaluate or have someone help you evaluate. Mm-hmm. And so the idea being then if you convert, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Ethan, this money from a pre-tax IRA or even an after-tax IRA should even be better. Yeah. From a tax into a Roth, it basically, under the current code, would make that a tax-free growing asset forever. Yeah, that's right. Um, not tax-deferred, but it's tax-free. Right. The Roth IRA accounts have no required minimum distributions during a client's lifetime. Yeah, another huge benefit. So you don't have to, uh, at 70 and a half, start making forced mandatory withdrawals. You can draw as much as you want or as little as you want out of an, a Roth on your own timing uh, without worrying about the tax situation. Right. And, and just to re- remind our listeners, uh, required minimum distributions start when you're 70 and a half. So okay. that's, that's true of IRA accounts and 401ks and, and similar type investment or other uh, tax-deferred accounts. You're required to take money out at that time. And it's a certain percentage of the, the current of the assets in that account each year. It's actually a larger amount each year because uh, as you it's based on your life expectancy – each year as you age, obviously you, you're expected to live long, less long. So the required minimum distributions go up over time. So, so if, you, if you have money in, in an IRA now, let's say you're 60 years old, and let's say you, you're, you've amassed, say, a million dollars, at a 5% growth rate, that million dollars will, at 70, be about $1.7 million. And to give you an idea of the required minimum distributions, at that time, the, the required minimum at that time would be about $65,000 in the first year. And, of course, by that time, at 70, you, if you're, you're taking Social Security, you definitely would be taking it by then. You and your spouse would be collecting Social Security, most likely. Plus, if you have any pensions, now you're dealing with um, RMDs from your IRA account. And if you have any taxable assets at all, you're going to be in a pretty high-income tax bracket yeah. at that time in life. So something to consider uh, on this, it's pointed out, is you don't have to, when you're thinking about biting the bullet, because that's the, the biggest deterrent, is paying tax today. You don't have to convert all of your IRA monies into a Roth. That's right. You can do as much or as little as you would like. If you wanted to do $1,000, you could. Right. And oftentimes, you know, you'd look at your tax situation for the year and say, hey, I'm in a particular bracket. What is the amount of money I can earn additionally and stay in that bracket without being pushed into a higher one? Uh, And maybe it makes sense if that current bracket is projected to be – Higher than, uh, or I'm sorry, lower than what you would otherwise be. And this takes some number crunching, knowing, like you said, what those distributions are going to be, what your other income is going to be, some basic assumptions about the tax code into the future. But there is a way of optimizing um, those conversions. It isn't just, oh, I I think a lot of times I've bumped into people who thought, why, I didn't think I'd qualify, or if I did, there's, you know, if I converted, I have you know half a million dollars in an IRA. If I converted, that would put me in a. You don't have to convert it all at one time. And normally you don't. The, you know, normally the best strategy is to not do that. Usually you'd fill up your current tax bracket. You know, if you're in this perfect example, I was talking with a client today actually about this exact same thing. Uh, he's in his late 60s. 
He's going to be working for several years. He's currently in the 25% bracket based on all his income, earned income, portfolio income, and so forth. Um, he has probably $50,000 remaining in that tax bracket. But he has a very, very large IRA, several million dollars. So in a few years, at age 70 and a half, he'll, his required minimum distributions will be over 100 grand a year. And so that means at that time, he'll be at minimum in the same tax bracket, probably more actually. So what we did is we ran a calculation based on the, his current income, filled up the current tax bracket, because that's the for mm-hmm. sure amount. We, we know he's not going to pay less tax than that in the future. So let's go ahead and do that. It ends up being about 50 grand this particular year. Uh, that's the type of stuff that you need to be aware of. And if you go, frankly, there aren't a lot of good calculators out there. So if you're, you don't know how to do this, uh, a lot of times people will go to the web, do a, a Roth conversion calculator. I have found that those calculators that are available are very, what's the right word, uh, uh, not helpful, really. They, they don't give you the best or the clearest picture. It's really a snapshot look at it when really you need to look at it over a long, long period of time, not just any one year. Right. So that's the biggest weakness I've found in those things and why most people, hey, I looked into it one time and I, I determined it wasn't good for me. And I, I have to ask them a few questions and we quickly realize, well, geez, maybe you, you weren't looking at it exactly the right way. So something to be aware of. So you also need to be aware um, or think through the process of how you will fund or pay for the taxes in the year that you do do the conversion. Yep. Um, because there would be some additional tax due there, and so you typically wouldn't want to pay that out of your IRA account. Right. Um, so you'd want to have those funds aside. And Maybe just to clarify it real quick. Okay. I, so just to be super clear, let's say you decide that, hey, $10,000 is the amount I want to convert. And let's say you go, you're going to pay 20% tax on that. Well, Ken is saying that you, you want to make sure that the whole $10,000 goes from your IRA into the Roth. So ten thousand bucks lands in the Roth IRA, uh, and you pay the twenty percent or the ten to two thousand bucks in tax from some other source. Mm-hmm. That way, you're getting more of your money out of the taxable zone, either tax deferred or taxable, and into the tax free zone. Yeah, which is what you want. Yeah, exactly. So uh, a couple other things here as I'm going through the article, it talks about um, you know if, if for some reason things change and you don't want to pay the tax or you have a you know, like you said there's two thousand extra dollars. Um, he misses something very large that you talk about, which is if the market were to make a, a move in the in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. you have until October 15th of the year after the conversion to undo all or part of the money that you converted. That's right. But how does that work? Yeah, well, so let, let's say that uh, in 2013, maybe it was November of 2013, you converted some money, uh, maybe it's 10000 bucks again, from your IRA to your Roth IRA in, again, November of 2013, so just a few months ago. Um, let's say that investment, let's say you bought uh, some individual stock that goes down in value between the time you converted the assets uh, and October 15th of 2014. You actually can undo that conversion, which, do what's called a recharacterization, put it back in the IRA from which it came from uh, without any problems. It'll be like it never happened. Hmm. And the advantage of that is this. If you converted 10000 bucks and then you pay tax, tax on $10,000, but now at some point in the future the, 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 the investment's only worth $5,000, well, you wouldn't necessarily want to pay tax on ten grand when something's only worth five grand, right? Right. So in, the, in a case like that, you can do what's called a, you know, a recharacterization, put it back into the IRA from which it came from for that tax year. If you've already filed in a return, you, you would have to file an amended return is the only kind of snag about that, but uh, it's definitely worth doing in that situation. Something to be aware of. You have lots of flexibility around that. Yeah. Well, that sounds pretty good. Um, the widow's penalty. Uh, this is saying the Roth conversion can also be used to avoid the so-called widow's penalty. 
<clears throat> one of the things that I've we've talked about and I've seen you talk about a lot, Ethan, is this idea of planning not only over your lifetime but the the, the both party, a husband and wife, if right. it's a partnership, mm-hmm. both of their lifetimes and the ta- net tax effect um, accounting for their joint life expectancy. So one of the things he says, when one spouse dies, surviving generally files as a single person. Mm-hmm. And earlier in this discussion, we talked about the differences in the tax um, brackets. The income is lower for a single individual to be in a higher bracket than it is a married filing jointly. So that's the penalty yeah, that's they're referring right. to. That's right. Um, so the idea that uh, generally if you file as a single um, using tax brackets, which rates rise at lower income levels than for married people, many surviving spouses find they have the same or higher income as when their spouse was alive. They may also have lower expenses, especially true of the big medical costs for the decreased deceased spouse. The spouse could also inherit life insurance, whose proceeds will probably be invested, which would produce additional interest dividends and potential capital gains. Yep. So the Roth conversion after the first spouse dies will again increase taxes in the short run, but will pay off over the over the uh, providing the tax free income. A couple more things. Ethan, we got to take a quick break on this Roth idea, and I have some several questions um, about Roth conversions. But we'll be right back after this quick break on Empirical Investing Radio. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Are you a decision maker in your organization, a mid-level manager, or a team member? Stepping Stones to Everyday Success with host Kimberly Stewart is a program designed to provide you with tidbits and tools you need to achieve results no matter where you are in your organizational structure. Interaction is key, and you'll have opportunities to share your ideas, comments, and questions. Listen to Stepping Stones to Everyday Success, live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. 
All right, we're back. Empirical Investing Radio. Your host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. Just uh, wrapping up, I think, uh, a conversation on really saving taxes. Um, an article written by uh, Ed Slot, again, the national renowned uh, Roth, or rather IRA expert. Appeared in the Financial Planning Magazine here recently. And uh, just kind of finishing up that conversation. Um, right before the break, we were just entering the last section of the article, and it was talking about the what, we, what he calls the, the widow's penalty. And uh, my thoughts on that were, were this, basically, that uh, in a situation when one, of the, one spouse dies, a lot of times income relate, remains the same. So uh, I was just going to walk through an example. I was working with uh, a client uh, not too long ago that he had had terminal cancer, not, not, not terminal cancer, but had cancer for a period of time. It was in remission. Um, but still, it wasn't expected that it would be gone forever. Eventually, it would come back and maybe he had another, you know, you expect to live maybe another 10 years or so, something like that. And in his situation, he's about 68 years old. Uh, he'd been collecting Social Security, and most of his income came from two sources. One was a pension, actually, along with Social Security, but also his rental property income on several apartment buildings. Mm-hmm. So when he passes away, well, what's going to happen with all the income that he has? Well, the rental property income will be the exact same. Nothing will change there. Um, the pension income will be the same because they chose the 100% joint survivor option, so the wife would get the remaining income for as long as she lives. All right. She also would then step up to his full retirement benefits for, for Social Security purposes. So they have all this income currently, and it's actually more than they need. But they also have a lot more than a million dollars in an IRA account. And he's not quite 70 and a half yet, so he's not taking required minimum distributions. But if he was to pass away, well, they'd be in the exact same total income situation that they, they would be while he's alive. Uh, and actually, in a higher tax bracket or a higher income situation, later on, after that, you account for required minimum distributions. Um, so this, this idea of you have the same level of income, but you're only filing individually rather than, than as a joint filer. Again, the, the joint filers have uh, higher income limitations. As an example, uh, currently, I believe that the 15% tax bracket is about $74,000 if you're filing jointly, and it's about $36,000 if you're filing single. So when somebody passes away, well, the year after, you have to file single, but you have the same amount of income. Consequently, you're in a much, much higher tax bracket and consequently paying a lot more in tax than you were while your spouse was alive. So this is a situation that is is fairly common and and oftentimes overlooked in my my experience. Most people don't don't expect this to happen because they're not really thinking of it, but it is something that's to be, be aware of, especially if you have substantial assets in an IRA account. It's a big deal. I mean, mm-hmm. it'll, it'll be enormous difference. So in this particular case, this person, I, my recommendation was, hey, go ahead and, and suspend your Social Security. Stop taking that because you have the option after full retirement age to, to, to take benefits or not. Uh, that'll reduce your current income and fill up that gap at least with money coming from your IRA into your Roth IRA. At least move that amount of money, right, it, currently while you're in a lower tax bracket. Because by 70, well, you're going to take Social Security again. If we're taking required minimum distributions, you will not have an opportunity to convert assets at this current low tax rate mm-hmm. now or in the future. Yeah. So it made good sense. All right, well, let's switch gears then, Ethan, to someone who's not near in, in that stage where they've retired. You know, you call it the tax valley. I yeah, tax valley, that's right. Um, they're not in the tax valley. Uh, they're in the tax peak. Okay. And they, they are earning, and they are dealing with these stealth taxes. As you said, many of the clients are... Individuals are noticing it on their 2013 return. Right. Well, a little as he's he's pointing it out. If they're noticing it, it's because they are in a high bracket already. Right. So converting 
to a Roth doesn't help at that point. No, you're right. So, no opportunity. Uh, there. It's it's kind of interesting. I would also add this. Um, yeah, real quick. So on the Roth, a lot of people, okay. some people com- contribute to their Roth 401ks in this situation. Yeah, I met with somebody just earlier this week who makes a lot of money. They're they're their doctor. Uh, they're planning for retirement, and they're contributing currently to the Roth 401k. And right. this person files singly; they're in the 35 percent tax bracket. And so, one of the first recommendations I had was, "Hey, don't don't do that anymore. You need the deduction." Yeah, you might as well get get the deduction now because you're going to save 35 percent. Now, if you're doing it, it's not because you think you're in a higher uh, income bracket by your own doing. It's because if you were doing it in that point, it's because you think the tax code has changed where we're going to be in a higher tax bracket on a smaller amount of income, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's why you'd be doing it right now in spite of being in potentially the 39 or the 43.7. Right. Is because you believe that, hey, even if I have a smaller amount of income in the future, the rates are going up okay. substantially. Mm-hmm. And I guess if you believe that, it, it's but if we got back to a 90% marginal tax rate and it was compressed, right. it would make sense, but you'd have to, most professionals I see aren't willing to make that projection. Right. Um, advisors, tax professionals, all the calculators that I see, I've seen online over the last 15 years of doing this, they usually just project whatever the current tax code is into the future. Right. And then say, well, where will you be income-wise? Mm-hmm. But uh, I agree with you. I'm, I'm not saying I disagree. I'm just pointing out that if you were doing it, you should be consciously doing it because you do think that's going to happen. Right, that would be a not reason. Because I think that's going to happen. Right. But because you feel, hey, I don't mind being in a reasonably high, The fact that I'm doing a Roth now, even though I'm in a reasonably high bracket, is because I believe even if I have a, a little bit lower income, I think the brackets are going to be higher and compressed later. Yeah, and that's possible. That given a, given your specific situation, that may be what's going on. I mean, yeah, I can, that could be reasonable to assume. In this person's situation, though, they're, this person was 47 years old. They actually want to retire at 55, mm-hmm. which is great. She's a doctor. And the, the, the point of this conversation was that at 55, assuming she's not working any longer, she will not have the in- earned income she currently has. You know, It makes over a half million dollars a year. At that point in time when she retires, she will not have the income any longer. In fact, she won't have any income other than what her portfolio generates mm-hmm. on the taxable side. Which means probably in the fifteen percent bracket for for a period of time before yeah. Social Security and before RMDs kick in. So in that situation, you're definitely in a situation where you're you're in a higher tax bracket now than you will be later. Okay. And I just was making the point to her that hey, during during your your you know between fifty five and sixty five, basically, let's convert assets like crazy from your, right, your tax right. deferred four hundred one k. Let's hold off right now. Exactly. That's solid advice. I can't dispute it. Um, so you're in the peak, though. Getting back to my example, somehow we got away from what I was talking hey, about. Hey, I got one more thing. One, one more thing. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> um, you're, you are in the peak earnings situation right now. All right. Um, and like you said, you can, you can max if you're in a 401k. It's probably the most common thing we've seen. Sure. Um, you can max that out on a pre-tax level, get that immediate deduction, right? Or deduction, but you might, you won't be able to uh, get a Roth if you're if you're in the highest bracket. You're not going to qualify to make an outside of a four hundred one k contribution Correct. to a Roth, right? That's right. That's the one interesting thing about the Roth four hundred one k is that now because it's in the four hundred one k, you're not subject to the normal income limitations to make that contribution, right? Mm-hmm. So there is a little Benny there if you're on the border about that. 
because if you don't, if you make more than you would qualify to make, just your open up an individual Roth account down at the at your local investment firm. Um, you you can use the four hundred one k to to get around that. But the other thing you can do, what we talked about, is well, you could open up a after tax traditional IRA and fund that to the maximum in addition to whatever you do in your 401k, right? Yes, that's correct. So if you have your 401k and you were, let's assume you were maxing out pre-tax the 401k limit Mm -hmm. and um, you did that and then you said, well, I can't qualify to do a Roth outside of that in an individual account, but what I can do is open up a traditional IRA and in a, in a spouse situation, you could do that for each of the parties. Right. Make an after-tax contribution. And then, then, just to be clear, that means a, a contribution that you do not get a tax deduction for. Yeah, there's no tax deduction. And normally, if you were doing, you had the choice of making after-tax or putting into a Roth, you'd much rather do the Roth, right? Sure you would, yeah. Because the after-tax is going to be taxed on the growth when you start pulling it out. Mm-hmm. It's still subject to the RMDs and all that. Yep, right. And all that jazz. But you could then work around the IRS rules here, a little bit of a loophole, I guess, because they changed the rules in the past where there was an income limitation on being able to convert. That's correct. To now there is no income cap on conversions. Correct. So you could put money into that, convert it then into an IRA, into a Roth. Right. The net, was it have to be the next year? You know, there's no, there's no timing hmm. restrictions on that. Yeah. Now, and I can say this, the IRS doesn't like this. This is a loophole. That so they, they may close in the future. They could close it. So it, if you are thinking, I'd get, get on it. It's the type of thing that they don't, obviously don't. If you can put 5000 bucks in a tax, tax, non-tax deductible IRA and then go ahead and, and convert that same 5000 bucks the very next day, which you actually could do. That's uh, not, it's unheard of. People do that all the time. Um, just kind of get around the rule. Uh, you are de facto making a, an Roth contribution. So I know the IRS frowns on this, but they have not made a ruling as to what, how to handle it. But if you ever got audited or something like that, you might have some issues with this. Why, well, why would you have the issues? Because it really is a, it, it, it it's a circumvents the, the intent of the rule, which is, hey, you can't contribute. Yeah. But if you did this, this is, I think, a, a more reasonable way to approach this. Let's say you went ahead and put the $5,000 contribution mm-hmm. after tax into your IRA. Mm-hmm. You go ahead and, and pick an investment. You go ahead and buy something. And then you wait some period of time and then convert it. So that the value of the investment is either changed, gone up or down. Maybe, maybe it's a week later, maybe it's a month later, something like that. And that way, you, you have, I think, less, less intent there. You know what I mean? Like it's, you have some risk, something at risk for a period of time other than just putting the $5,000 from one account moving into the Roth. Does that make sense? Uh, so I think that's a better way to do it, perhaps. Hmm. Yeah. But either way, it's okay. I, w- I would certainly speak to your tax professional on that. Sure. But, um, you know, what... what what you're saying, though, is you can do it. Yeah, you right? definitely can do it. There is not a stated period of time no. right now. But if you did it in the next tax year, it certainly would get it out of this, this, the same, doing it in the same exact tax year. Uh, like, say, I, I made a contribution last year right. after tax, and then now in 2014, yeah. sometime before the end of this year, I convert. Right. There'd be, you're saying there might be less scrutiny. Agreed. From the IRS than if you did it last year and a week later converted it. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. I like, I like you, what you're saying. You're, you're scratching me right where I'm itching. Much more than I did. But that's exactly what I'm getting at. Okay, well, we, I, had, I have more questions in the last segment here. I think this is good stuff. Let's take a quick uh, breather here shortly. All right. Um, before we do, again, if you want to contact Ethan or I throughout the week, 
at the office to talk about your personal situation. No obligation, no pressure. You can reach us 1-800-923-4307 at Empirical, and uh, we'd be happy to share with you our best and brightest ideas. Let's take a quick break and come back with our discussion on Roths. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait, they just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio. Your host here, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith. We are entering our last, sadly, our last segment of the day uh, for the show. And Ken, right before the break, we're just talking more about Roth conversion. It sounded like you had some more burning questions you wanted to, to pose. See if you could stump the band, I think. Is yeah, what they're burning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, the, uh, yeah, the questions I have, let's, let's talk about my questions. We might uh, have to call in some experts for these questions. We'll yeah, see. call in some experts. So we were on the, the verge of something exciting here, which is, hey, how, how can you know we stay in line with the tax code but maximize or optimize the opportunity set? Mm-hmm. And so what we were talking about was you max out pre-tax your 401k. Was it 17.5 last year? I believe so, yep. Cap. And then if you're over 50, there's a little bonus catch-up contribution That's right. you can do. Right, another 5 or 55,000, something, 55, yeah, something like that. And um, and then you you do the after tax and then you convert it, you know. And if assuming that there was a little growth, um, yeah, then the, theoretically you could convert no tax on that part, 
The tricky part, and this is what we need to clarify here for the last segment so people don't get get upset that you gave them tainted advice, All right. sour advice here, uh, is that if you have other pre-tax IRA accounts that are separate from your 401k, mm-hmm. they are going to be included in the conversion calculation for the tax. I see what you're driving at. That's a very right? good point. So you, 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 you may not get the, the full benefit of saying, hey, I've put money in this after-tax IRA that I convert to a Roth, and if it didn't grow, there'd be no tax. Right. Um, but let's say you had... $100,000 in a pre-tax IRA and you put $1,000 in your after-tax IRA and these are two separate individual accounts held outside of your 401k, they're going to say, hey, you've, you've got, um, let's say it was 99000 in the one and the one. 1% of your total IRA money is in an after-tax. Right. So 1% would not be taxed if it hadn't grown. But the other money... The 99 was all pre-tax. Mm-hmm. It is fully taxable. That's exactly right. Okay. So you had an idea of how to work around that because you are a very industrious individual. Well, one idea would be, let's say, for example, let's say you had two IRAs, like you said. You had $99,000 in a after-tax IRA. And let's say, for example, in this, this situation, that $99,000 got there vis-a-vis a 401k rollover. So you were working... You rolled over the money into an IRA account, and it stayed there. All right. And then later, maybe this year, you open up a new IRA and contribute the $1,000 you mentioned. Well, if you converted it, converted $1,000 at that time to get it into the Roth IRA, only, in this case, 1% of the conversion would qualify for the tax-free status. 99% of it would be included in, in-, in income, basically. However, if you rolled over your existing uh, IRA, the $99,000, into your current 401k at your employer. Now, you want to make sure the reasonable investments and that sort of thing before you do that. But you, you could move the money, the whole, the whole ball of wax, into the 401k. And then the next year, go ahead and convert the assets, the $1,000 that you had landed in a separate IRA account and pay no tax, assuming there's no growth. That okay. way, the 100% of that conversion would be tax-free. Because right. you made a $1,000 after-tax contribution. Pretty good deal. So there may be a variety of reasons that I think it's time we got to put some disclaimers out here, Ethan, that you may not want to take a rollover and put it back yeah. into a 401k, right? Right. And um, I just, you, you, you're going to hit on them. You go ahead. What's that? You're going to explain, I'm sure, some of the caveats with that or, or what the risks might well, be. Well, I, I, I don't. You, I, you can jump in on that, but um, I, I want to make sure that that is – what I want to get clear is that it's something that you would need to talk, uh, do a very thorough analysis on to make sure that you're not doing something you don't want to do. Right. Um, and that you're not creating any unintended negative consequences that outweigh, in that example, a $1,000 contribution, but you put 99000 in something that you're not, you don't want it to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and once it's in an active 401k, you can't just go, hey, I want to roll it back out a lot of times. No, you can't. So... Whatever is is there, you may be dealing with. And so some of those things may be that there's just horrible investment options. Right. That the company you work for just hasn't done a great job of picking. Let's define horrible. So okay. very expensive, non-diversified types of investments. Those those are things that be I would think would be horrible. Anything else you want to add to the list? Um, yeah, just poor. Um, maybe they're, they're just funds that, that got put. I mean, there's been so much put out about... 401k plans 
we don't have time to go through all of it here, but um, you know, a lot of a lot of companies have put up plans in the past that you know the the funds were really what was paying the operating expense of the plan, right? And so the funds aren't necessarily chosen because of the best potential alternatives; they're chosen because they have these fees inside of them. Mm-hmm. And so you, you just want to be aware. The, putting it this way, the investments um, and what you may potentially lose. For example, in an a, various investment asset classes could not be available at all. Mm-hmm. So if you said, geez, we look at, at the, the research here and we say small companies, as an example, have done significantly better than large. I want to have some of that in my portfolio. Um, and, if, and they've done so by you know multiple percentage points compounded per year. That could outweigh you know moving a, a $99,000 investment, compound that at a 2% rate of difference, for example, is going may outweigh the one thousand dollars that you wound up getting converted, right? If it wasn't enough, sure. Um, on the other hand, there may be provisions in the four hundred one k that make it if if it's a very good plan that make it uh, amenable or exciting to do. You know, maybe you you want access to like we were talking about. You can take loans out on a four hundred one k. I don't know. I'm not aware currently of how you borrow out of a traditional IRA or Can't IRA rollover. Um, maybe the company has invested to get you access to institutional mutual funds that you otherwise couldn't get access to. Right. And so we manage some of uh, some company 401ks. The funds we use are institutional level at funds. And when we work with clients on an individual basis, we require a certain asset level. Mm-hmm. But th- that those funds that the investors couldn't get on the retail side, well, they're getting them through the 401ks that we're, uh, we're managing for the companies. And they're getting access to that starting at dollar zero. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that case, I know in our four hundred one k specifically, I'd have no problems putting money into right. it because the funds that we're utilizing in there are great funds, and we're able to get access to them at very low amounts. It's a good deal. Mm-hmm. Plus, you have the other features like you'd mentioned. You can borrow against it. Yep. Uh, if you if you needed to. Right. Um. So anyway. You'd want to. You really will want to make sure that you're that there's a comprehensive strategy and plan around this. Sure. To, and and you know we're not talking about a lot of money. If you were just starting it, it's that's a husband wife. You you're talking about eleven thousand dollars or yeah twelve thousand dollars a year. Yeah, currently that's right. But it all adds up. I mean, you, you do so that. You do that not just one year, but for say twenty yeah. years in a row. Then Ooh, you really night, then night, you really night, got something. Right? You got something. You know, by the time you're you're going to be wanting to take money out of those accounts. Assuming some reasonable reasonable growth, that'll be no small potatoes, right? It'll no be great, small potatoes, and all tax free at that point. So that's a fantastic, fantastic deal if you can do it. Yeah, fantastic. I said fantastic, and I mean it. Right, any, anything else you want to discuss regarding these Roths, Roths convert, Roth conversions after tax IRAs? Any of that? Well, the only other little. How much time do we have left before the? We got a few minutes. The only other thing I think that goes along. Uh, I would say, as I like to say, dovetail with this conversation, is this idea of, of asset placement. Now, this is number secret number four of our, uh, or rather, or three of the six secrets of retirement success, asset placement, which basically means adjusting for your allocation. Let's say you have a, a balance allocation. You're, maybe you're 60 and you have uh, half stocks, half bonds in all your accounts. Well, as you convert assets, you want to make sure that you, I think anyway, would want to put your highest returning asset classes or highest returning investments in your tax-free account while keeping your, your overall allocation unchanged. That means you'll experience higher after-tax returns 
because more of your returns will be coming from your tax-free account. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the only thing I think I'd add to that conversation. And, and it adds sort of rocket fuel to the whole idea to begin with. Wow, rocket fuel. That's pretty powerful. Take it to the top. You are taking it to the top, Ethan. Well, I don't think we have a lot of time here, so uh, I think that's going to be about all we can cover in the show. I, I printed a lot of um, one of the questions maybe we can address starting next program. Uh, is the difference in working with a large investment bank uh, and an independent advisor. So we'll reserve that for the balance of our time in next show. Thanks for tuning in, Empirical Investing Radio. And again, if you want to email me throughout the weekend, it's Smith at empirical.net. Thank you and have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week.